Welcome to the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast with Dr. Fuck and the Ayatollah of Alcohola, Ian Wadley, better known as Wadzilla. So enjoy another awesome, incredible episode of the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. Bam, 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 diddly dee. Well, all right, look out! It's me, Dr. Fuck from Trash and I and those other bands. And uh, with me this week is. Oh, yeah! Mr. Ian Wadley from ACDC. How you doing there, Ian? That, that's right. Better than the other guy. That's for damn sure. That's right. And, uh, and Ian, uh, this week we're reviewing uh, Black Sabbath's Heaven and Hell. That's right. With. Go ahead, intro this guy. I could be Wong, but I'm pretty sure it's Wang. Bill Wang is with us today. Oh, the rock, the rock and metal combat podcast place to be. Diddly D, Doctor Fuck Wadzilla, and the Asian Sensation. Bill Wang, bam, bam, bam. That's <laughs> right. We brought Bill Wang for Heaven and Hell. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's like fuck it. Ask him if he likes that album. So let's have him on. Because uh, <laughs> it's been a long time. It's been almost a month. So, I know. And, and, and should we get Bill Wang to do an intro now so it's not a half hour later? Huh? Oh, man. That hurts. Oh, come on. I, no, I, I know. I, I was, I'm slow. I, I was jabbing him about the intro we had him record the last time he was on that took a half hour to pick Oh, my God. It. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. When when Ralph was pissed off at me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. I had, I had to leave. And I'm like, come on, Dad. Yeah, I know. It was, it was still awesome, though. Through the magic of editing, uh, it came out unbelievable. Maybe it'll make yeah, the best you. of next time. <laughs> the unedited yeah, version. Yeah, I was going to say the unedited version. 30 <laughs> mi- and 30 minutes is going to take up a quarter of our fucking <laughs> best of. Thank God for Dr. Fucking the Editing Champion. That's right, man. <laughs> yes, sir. But, uh, yeah, man. So let's, let's go into this uh, Black Sabbath Heaven and Hell, 1980. Oh, hell yeah. And, uh, oh boy, I don't know about you guys, but to me, this album's perfect. I mean, perfection. Wow, um, spoiler alert. And, 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 uh, well, you know, I mean, I love every song on it, but there's one that I don't like as much as the others, but I still love it. Uh, it just sticks out like a sore thumb. Can you guess what it is? Oh, wow, I'm feeling you there, brother. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, I know exactly what you're talking okay. about. It's the only one that gets four out of five chopsticks as opposed to five. I think uh, I, I know what you're talking about, but I'm not necessarily sure I agree. Okay. No, hey, 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 I love it. But but I'm just saying, it doesn't really fit the album. Um, mm-hmm. All right, I'll go into this. No, 1980, very special year for me because... Uh, and for Bill Wang, because he's, he, he, he's, he's around my age, so he understands uh, how special 1980 is, unlike uh, unlike this dude that thinks Van Halen's cock rock. Um, Hello. That, the, thing, <laughs> the thing about 1980 was, it was the perfect year. Uh, I was 15 years old, and it was the perfect... When you're 15, that is like when you really come to your own when you really start discovering everything you really like and start getting a little more serious. And what better year to start getting into metal than 1980? Fuck every other year. 1980 had your new wave of British heavy metal. 
You had this album, you had British Steel, you had After the Night, you had Wheels of Steel and Strong Arm of the Law. You had Angel Witch, you had the first Iron Maiden. Come on, dude. And everything was fucking quality. Uh, Blizzard of Oz, come on. So, um, Heaven and Hell. When this album came out, it was definitely a game changer. Along with, I think the two, even though I, I think the two top albums of that year is definitely Heaven and Hell and Back in Black, without a doubt. Back in Black uh, was a slow grower, slow grower. I don't know if you remember this, Bill Wang, but. I do. Yeah, back in, when Back in Black came out, it didn't explode till no. six or seven months later. Because uh, I remember they played West Palm Beach Auditorium on that tour. And then when the album exploded, there was this big campaign to get ACDC to come back to play the Hollywood Sports Forum, which was a big arena. And it's kind of like, nah, you assholes, you should have went to go see them. And, you know, I couldn't go because West Palm Beach is too far. I didn't have a car and I was a kid and I was restricted to ghost shit. But I did see the Heaven and Hell tour. Uh, my parents told me I couldn't go. Uh, but my, my parents also told me I couldn't go see Van Halen open for Black Sabbath on the Heaven and Hell tour. And I didn't because that was at the Hollywood Sportatorium. Now Miami High Ally, where the Heaven and Hell tour played, wasn't that far from me. I mean, a bus. I took one bus left me there. The bus took about 20 minutes to get there. So I snuck out of my house, got on a bus, went to the Miami Highlight. I saw Riot open the show, then Johnny Van Zant Band, the guy that now sings for Leonard Skinner, and headliners Black Sabbath. And it was, oh my God. You gotta understand, Black Sabbath's always been my favorite band. So when finally I got to see them without Ozzy, uh, which was unfortunate, but still, you know, I love the Heaven and Hell album. And it was just a mind-blowing show. And uh, I remember they opened with War Pigs. And uh, I remember that night they played Sweet Leaf, which is rare. You know, wow. Yeah, Dio Sweet And uh, I got home, and there was my dad waiting for me with a belt. <laughs> and he proceeded to beat the living shit out of me with a belt for sneaking out of the house. And you know what? It was worth every lash. <laughs> it was worth it. I'm telling you, it was worth it. So, and I still have the tour book. That's one thing I gotta tell all you kids. Yeah, buy the shirt, but buy a tour book, because tour books last forever. I still got my Fair Warning tour book, and the Who tour book, and Triumph Allied Fortress. Still got all the shit. Well, I still got my Mob Rules tour book, and my Heaven and Hell tour book. And uh, that's it. Uh, that's all I can say about the album for now before we dwell into the songs. And there's a lot of backstories of uh, this album that some of you out there may not know unless you read the book, Didn't Let Loose. So, uh, Mr. Bill Wang, tell us your experience of uh, your first taste of Heaven and Hell. Yeah, man. Uh, just going through the, reflecting on way back in the time machine. I, I remember exactly where I was. And you got to put things in context. In, in 1980, my bands, my four bands, were Kiss, ACDC, Van Halen, and Priest. I wasn't a kid of the 70s. I mean, I was a kid, but I wasn't into Black Sabbath. But this was my introduction to Sabbath. An older brother 
of one of my friends turned me on to this album. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget looking at the album and the artwork. It really caught my attention. Those, those angels smoking. I thought it was so fucking cool as a kid. And um, this being my introduction. It, and, and just it. And then going back and whatnot, it just sounds so different from the 70s sound. Like that. It sounds more precise, less loose sounding. And, and uh, I'll never forget it. Yeah, I. Who the hell is that? If I, if I remember correctly, I think it was Die Young I heard first, but uh, yeah, summer 1980, and uh, wow, I mean, just just blown away, just the obvious, you know, uh, response after listening to this album, it's just so emotional, and it's just so, wow, just the, the thought-provoking lyrics and everything, so, man, so, I, I remember it 36 years ago, man. All right. How about you, Ian? Well, I, I mean, I got memories like both of you. Uh, I, I mean, like you, Ralph. Uh, you know, well, n not like you, unlike you. When this came out, I was six. But, uh, the, you know, the, the same thing. Uh, my parents, you know, would not allow me to go to the show. But when I came home, your mother was waiting for me with a belt. And I was like, is, is, is this extra? And, uh, you know, and, and like... Bill Wang, I remember my top favorite bands, you know, in 1980, it was all about, you know, Pablo Cruz, Ambrosia, uh, Hall and & Oates, and, and Black Sabbath. So, Not the Beaver Brown Band? Oh, uh, yeah, they weren't around yet. Uh, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, uh, we were doing some demos, but uh, nothing... Oh, okay, my bad. Yeah, okay. nothing, nothing concrete. Um, <laughs> oh, obviously, <laughs> I was listening to uh, none of this when this album came out. I was six years old. But right. I was raised on Black Sabbath. My father was a Black Sabbath fan, uh, the first album through Sabbath Bloody Sabbath. So I did grow up hearing Sabbath, uh, not really knowing exactly who, just, you know, memories of hearing. My dad, I mean, his big thing was Volume 4 and, and playing Supernaut over and over again. And I remember the vinyl, you know, where you'd open it up. It was a gatefold with pictures in it, like full sleeves and shit. So I remember hearing them, but you know, of course, I didn't get into them till years later. You know, '86 is when I really uh, got into metal. You know, when I was about 12 years old, and Heaven and Hell, I think, was probably the uh, the fourth Black Sabbath album I got. But it was the first Dio era. But to me, there was no like, there was this big change because, uh, you know, I first got into Ozzy Solo with Ultimate Sin. I first got into Dio with Sacred Heart, but through reading Hit Parader, I would find out about this band Black Sabbath. I was like, oh yeah, my dad's got some of those. So I go back and listen to them, and I believe, you know, like the first one I bought was volume four, because my dad had it, got paranoid. And then the next one I got was either, like We Sold Our Souls or, or Heaven and Hell, but I remember getting Heaven and Hell, and, you know, because I was young, there was no prejudice, no like, you know, like I am with Van Halen, where I can only accept one era. Uh, I was open at this time. I was a sponge. And, and hearing this was was just as good and just as heavy to me. Even though it was different, uh, I was blown away on the first listen. And, you know, and this was my introduction to the Dio era. And then, you know, shortly after that, I, you know, I got uh, Mob Rules and Live Evil and, and the rest of the Sabbath catalog. Uh, but I absolutely love this album. Uh, what what a change! But at the same time, 
I feel the band held its integrity. You know, and, and there's a couple times when there's lineup changes, but they still hold their heaviness and their integrity. And, and when I think of that, I think of like, I, I still love the John Bush era, you know, with Sound of White Noise. I love the Motley Crue 94 era, um, you know, and I love this. It wasn't like, you know, Van Halen where they totally changed, went soft rock and blah, blah, blah. No, they were still heavy. It was still a game changer. And uh, this album is very special to me. I know it divides a lot of fans, a lot of hardcore fans. But even the people that I know it divides, you're, you're hard-pressed to find somebody who doesn't like this album. They just might ne not necessarily like it being called Black Sabbath. But I absolutely love it, and I have no problem with it being called Black Sabbath. Yeah, it should have been called Heaven and Hell. I agree. I don't think... It doesn't sound like Black Sabbath to me. It's a totally different band. It's uh, But it, it's still killer, unlike Van Hagar. You know? Exactly. <laughs> they they did change their sound, but they changed it to a more precise. Sounds kind of like you know, a heavy metal rainbow, to put it lightly, lightly. But better. Uh, well, not, in know. my opinion. In yeah, my yeah, opinion. in your opinion. Uh, it, to me, my favorite Dio is the rainbow stuff. But boy, I mean, um. Black Sabbath with Dio for me is like God, like a tiny little hair, you know, less than Rainbow for me. Because Rainbow, I think the reason why I like Rainbow a little better is because of the textures, the you know your 20th century green sleeves to uh, you know uh, Stargazer to Light in the Black and to Lady of the Lake, you know that they, they had a lot of flavors to it. Where Black Sabbath did have they had two flavors. You think about it. Your, your Children of the Sea and your Neon Knights. You know, they, you didn't have anything. They didn't really venture any further than those two areas, which is fine. Because, you know, I mean, after all, I love the Ramones and, you know, ACDC, so I'm not complaining, but I think that's probably why I would put Rainbow a little bit more. Uh, but not complaining. But uh, Bill Wang, why don't you take track one? Oh, Jesus Christ, man. Holy motherfucking chopsticks. What a slamming opener. That riffage is just brutally epic. You know, and Bill Ward says he doesn't remember doing the drum parts on this amazing album. Well, all I know is he did an amazing job because on this song and the album, he's fantastic. What an amazing opening song. It's like, holy fuck, we're back. Y'all thought we were dead. We're back. And now we're even fucking more brutal. And it's like, holy shit, hold on. Because this shit is going to get heavy as fuck. And uh, I love this fucking song. It's brilliant. Uh, the lyrics are brilliant. Dio is just phenomenal. I give this motherfucker five out of five chopsticks. Woo! Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Do I fucking love this. And to me, night day difference between what Dio did, you know, with Rainbow. And I love Rainbow. Don't get me wrong. I of course, I mean, really, aside from a few songs, the only era of Rainbow I accept is the Ronnie James Dio era. But to me, like, Rainbow and Dio Black Sabbath is like uh, Van Halen and Great White. I love them both, but there's a huge fucking difference. And I give the huge fucking difference to Black Sabbath. I think it's the finest shit Ronnie James Dio's ever done. 
And I, man, just him and Tony Iommi together um, is one of the best, like, teams ever. I, w- I would even, as far as, like, people who play off each other, I would give the, the Dio Iommi, you know, connection more than even the, the Ozzy uh, and Iommi connection. Now, where I think with the original Black Sabbath, it was, like, four equal parts. You know, we, we, we've talked before about, like, okay, Rat, who can you do without Bobby Blotson? Van Halen, who can you do without, uh, you, you know, uh, Michael Anthony? You know, but original Black Sabbath, you can't do without any of those members because all four of them made the original Black Sabbath. But once you get to the Dio era, it's all about the play between Iomi and Dio. And, wow. And, and, and for this to be the opening track and the last song written for the album, you know, most of it was done in, uh, in Miami at Criteria Studios. This one was done in Paris. And, you know, and simply because they just didn't have enough to fill up the album. Uh, so, like, okay, let's bang one more out. And they did Neon Nights. Wow. I mean, I mean, for something wow. you do on the fly. Yeah, no shit. To be the last song you've written but strong enough to open up the album and, and, and something that you write so quick is just a testament to what was going on between Dio and Iomi. Like, I mean, they were just firing on all fucking cylinders and it's absolute fucking metal classic. And it does, it ushers in a new era. It definitely brings back some heaviness. There was a lot of experimentation on technical and never say die, which I love. And I, I love, I still, you know, you know I'm, man, Never Say Die is up there with all the others to me because I love the different shit. Now, Ozzy says he didn't like all the experimentation on those last two albums. But if you ask me, you listen to a solo career, he does the same thing, but in a different vein. I mean, you know, you would never hear Goodbye to Romance or Little Dolls on a Black Sabbath album, you know, so he did different shit too. But for some whatever reason, he said he didn't like it in Black Sabbath. But here's Black Sabbath focusing on the heavier side. But, you know, initially it wasn't going to be Black Sabbath. It was going to be a new band. And, you know, right before they recorded, uh, Geezer left and then came back. You know, they started recording. You know, Jeff Nichols was involved. who would stay in the band, but he would switch from, like, you know, bass and, and guitar to just keyboards. You know, but Greg, Craig Goober from uh, Rainbow played on it, you know, and I believe uh, Frank Zappa's bass player was, was going to be on it, but then they changed their mind. But, I mean, initially it wasn't going to be Black Sabbath, but then it became it, and supposedly Geezer came back and re-recorded all the bass without listening to what the previous guys have done, and he's all over it. Bill Ward... Now, we used to argue on this route, you know, where I said, ah, it's still Bill Ward. But going back and listening to it, I do agree with you, Ralph. It is a different Bill Ward. It's not the jazzier Bill Ward. But I think it's still a little bit more experimental than what they would do with every drummer that came after. But it isn't the Bill Ward of the 70s. But I still love it, man. What a way to kick off this album. Absolute classic. What you think? Well... I want to. I want to just uh, reiterate the whole thing where Geezer Geezer left the band soon after Ozzy, and Craig Gruber came in. And according to 
Fred Ruber, he did that that line, that bass line in the song Heaven and Hell, he came up with. And he said he came up with, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of the bass lines that Geezer ended up uh, copying for the album. Now, what I understand, what I read was Geezer left the band and then he just called Tony one day saying, hey, how's everything going? And Tony said, you got to come over and listen to what we've got so far. So Geezer went by the house and listened to the album and said, fuck, I want back in. So he came back in and Geezer, the only thing that Geezer actually did on the album, as you said before, was Neon Nights. That, that is the only song that they wrote when he rejoined the band. Correct. But before that, no. And also, there happens to be, according to Geezer Butler, an early demo of Die Young with Ozzy Osbourne. Doing, doing vocals on obviously wow. different lyrics and wow. also Children of the Sea was around yeah. during Ozzy's you know last days yeah so, that, that I heard I never heard that about about this though yeah Die Young Die Young and Children oh, not of the Sea Die Young I'm sorry I'm sorry not the other Die Young okay that I didn't know no no Die Young and Children of the Sea those two songs were around during the Ozzy days okay right on that were never um, you know uh, never came to fruition, but according to Geezer Butler, he has demos of Ozzy wow. doing like those scat vocals that he used to do, like you know, because what Ozzy would do, and you can hear it on a lot of the, a lot of those remasters that bring bonus tracks, is Ozzy would go in the studio and sing, like there's vocals of him doing Paranoid and and other songs where he's just making up words, but it's the melody, but then Geezer right. would get what Ozzy would do. So basically, I don't know if the mel- I doubt the melody of those songs. Because like, I really doubt Ronnie James Dio would copy uh, Ozzy's melody. But, right. and also, Geezer Butler was very relieved because he, he, he never really liked writing lyrics. And he was very relieved that Ronnie James Dio came in and wrote the lyrics to the new album. That uh, really did uh, help a lot. Um, yeah, a blistering song. Maybe the first song I heard from it. I'm not sure. Uh, and uh, because I do remember back in the day, the title track was played on the radio quite a bit. Wow, really? Was it like edited or they played no, it the, the whole okay. thing? Nice. Rock radio, rock radio. You know, it's the same station that would play Stairway to Heaven, Cashmere, you know, Freebird and shit like that. So, you know, of course they play the whole thing. Um... Yeah, Neon Knights, man. Blistering song. Uh, I love the whole Neon Knights with a K. You know, a knight in charming and shiny neon, you know? And, uh, yeah, man, what a blistering, awesome opening track. Uh, the perfect opening track. And thank God they wrote this song, because if you think of every other song on this album, I don't think there's any strong opener on it. I really don't. I think, uh... Yeah, it is the perfect opener. Yeah, every other song, which is great, is not really a good opening track. But, uh, yeah. but uh, let, let me ask you, Rel, you know, because you know, Wayne was talking about this was his first Black Sabbath. You were already into Black Sabbath. Oh, and... I, I bought, I bought, uh, we sold our souls from rock and roll and the uh, Never Say Die before Heaven and Hell ever came out. Right. So, so I mean, I mean what I want to ask you is somebody who was already... Invested, already into this band, uh, 
y- you know, was there a lot of backlash? I yes. Mean, oh, there, 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 I mean, even after people heard it, was there backlash or more prior to hearing I, I, I vividly remember a guy at the actual show fucking saying fucked up shit about Ronnie before the show started. Saying, this ain't, you know, this is bullshit. I come here for fucking, this guy was only there for Geezer Butler. Right. He's a bass player. He goes, I love Geezer Butler, but fucking this bullshit ain't fucking Black Sabbath without, you know, uh, Ozzy Osbourne and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and I'm a little kid. This is an older guy, you know, and I just sat there and heard it. And I also remember there was another guy, you know, an older kid, uh, that hated it. Hated, even hated the music. He said, dude, I cannot get into Black Sabbath without Ozzy. It's just not Black Sabbath. So it wasn't really that. And if you really think about it, it's like, I don't really see these people as being closed-minded because it is a totally different band. And maybe if they did call it something else, it might have gotten... But, you know, and even Ronnie James Dio in interviews said that there was a lot of people giving him the finger and shit, you know, uh, during the earlier parts of the tour. But then, you know, by the time Mob Rules came out, everybody loved Dio. You know, so I think like the transition be- before Mob Rules coming out and when Heaven and Hell already sunk in and it's been out like a good year, people people already like loved it. You know, because, and another example is that I saw Black Sabbath at the Miami Highline, which is kind of like a small place. And then Mob Rules, they played the Hollywood Sportatorium, the big arena uh, where, uh, uh, you know, it was huge. And then when Dio left, Black Sabbath came out and came back and played Sunrise Musical Theater on Born Again, which is a much smaller venue. That's actually where I saw Randy Rose and Ozzy, uh, Sunrise, where Ozzy, you know, Blizzard of Oz, starting to gain steam. But, you know, then the next time I saw Ozzy was at the Sport of Warning. But uh, in the very, very beginning, I do remember people giving a lot of shit to Dio. And, but, like I said, man, by the time Mob Rules came out, uh, by that time, Ozzy was already eclipsing them as far as popularity. Because by Diary of a Madman, forget it. Rock. Ozzy not only, only eclipsed Black Sabbath, but at that time, I only think Van Halen was as popular in, as far as hard rock metal goes. It was Ozzy and Van Halen on, on the top of the heap by 1982, you know? Well, and, uh... uh uh, another thing I wanted to ask you is, you know, when Black Sabbath came out, you know, and I'm just going back and what I'm reading and like sales wise, you know, Black Sabbath was very popular. The first album through like uh, Sabbath Bloody Sabbath, but then like sales and chart wise, they really fell off with, uh, you know, with Sabotage and Technical and Never Say Die. Um, were they still like a big band to, to, to metal people, or had they really fallen off the radar by the time uh, Dio joined? Them? No, uh, they were still huge. They were headlining arenas with on the Never Say Die tour. Uh, okay. They toured the world, big places with Van Halen. A big myth, though, though I was not at these shows, so I can't tell you. But a big myth is that Van Halen blew away Black Sabbath every show. Uh, that is a myth. Well, Ozzy Osbourne did say that did happen, but there were certain people that saw that tour saying Van Halen was amazing, but Black Sabbath 
they did not top Black Sabbath. So I don't know which one. So it, it, I wasn't there, but there's certain people that, that weren't there either that, that claim, oh yeah, Van Halen blew him away that whole tour. I wasn't there to say that, but I have heard people, like that one guy that did that metal show with Eddie Trunk, he said, dude, I was at that show. And nobody knew who Van Halen was. They were great, but they were no way near as great as Black Sabbath was that night. So I don't know. And if you look at that Never Say Die footage from the Hammersmith, dude, Black Sabbath sounded amazing. I mean, amazing. Ozzy had that real crazy strong voice. Bill Ward with those crazy dreads looks all fucked up, but what a great drum solo. And the band sounded tight. They just sounded amazing to me. So. Maybe there were some nights, you know, when Black Sabbath was off and Van Halen. I mean, I can totally understand Van Halen blowing them away because Van Halen was the greatest band I ever saw, ever. But you got to remember, Van Halen were unknown at the time. So how can you like, oh, that band. See, when I saw Pantera blow away Skid Row, I knew Pantera. Maybe if I didn't know them, I wouldn't feel that way because I didn't know the songs. Right. You know, so... That's up for debate, but Black Sabbath were still huge. We're still very much a huge, huge band. Uh, their albums kind of slumped, because I do remember hearing the song having, uh, Nia, uh, Never Say Die on the radio for a short amount of time. I don't remember hearing anything from Technical on the radio, ever. Right. Even to this day. I don't think I've ever heard anything from Technical on the radio. But... Uh, and, and you know what? And I also remember uh, Never Say Die was very well promoted when it first came out. I remember uh, it being all over magazines and, uh, you know, uh, that's all I got to say about that. So uh, let's go to the second track, which is Children of the Sea. And uh, I want to know what Bill thinks about this song. Oh, man, this song is fucking amazing. Um the acoustic majestic guitar parts in the song are just fucking just goosebump inducing, man. And then the contrast of the bombast, bam, you know? I mean, amazing lyrics. And you know, let's be honest, Dio was God. I mean, and uh, I love the song. And like you were saying previously, Ralph, it's like very interesting. I would be very, very interested, obviously, stating the obvious, to hear the early infant infancy stages of this song with Ozzy, you know? Yeah. You know, the internet, he says this, that, and everything. You know, you know, so, uh, and like you said, they, obviously the lyrics would be totally different. But I love this fucking song. I think it's fantastic as a second song in the record. And I give it five out of five chopsticks. Awesome. Ian? Uh, oh, my God. Is this awesome? You know, and this is kind of like, you know, what, what you were hitting at earlier is, the you know, the different type of songs you would get from this Dio-led version of Black Sabbath. You know, you would get your Neon Knights and your Children of the Sea. But like you said, this is one that they started to do with Ozzy. And, man, I was hoping something like this... Well, I guess it wouldn't really be proper to put it out like on a remaster of Heaven and Hell. But uh, for those of you who may or may not know, uh, you know, they've gone back and remastered a lot of the Black Sabbath albums. The best versions you can get is is the Ozzy years box set that shit is from the original Warner Brothers masters and you hear shit that you never heard before but then after that they did uh, uh, an, another cash grab version of the first three where there's all these bonus shit and then they put out the other Ozzy albums 
but there really wasn't any bonus ones, man. So I would love to hear, like, like maybe do a never say die one, which I think you know really needs like deluxe treatment with some extra shit. And I would have loved to hear Ozzy's take on this. Uh, of, of course, it would be totally different, but you know, being a completist and a Black Sabbath fanatic, you know, I would love to hear it. But this is one, you know, when they first got together with Dio. Uh, you know, this is the one Tony threw at him, said, hey, you know, yeah, th I've been working on this one, tried it with Ozzy, let's see what you got. And, you know, the original version was done with Jeff Nichols on bass. Uh, and holy, because Geezer was out at that point, and I would love to hear that, you know, and the crazy thing is, is like the, what the fuck moment, uh, you know, Sharon was the person that introduced, you know, Dio and Tony to each other. You know, she didn't get with Ozzy till she went trying to recoup some money from him for her dad, who used to manage Black Sabbath. But at first, she was trying to help Sabbath because of her dad and introduced Dio. But I, I mean, this this just shows you the relationship between Dio and Iomi and how they could go all over the place. And uh, you know, a, a lot of people, you know, Dio, yes, technically is a better singer than Ozzy, and that's no slam at Ozzy at all because Ozzy, for what he does, is the best. And like Ralph always says, what he delivers with melody, melody works, and the way he sings with the riff. But what Iomi loved is he said Dio had a different take where he would sing across the riff. And you hear this a lot, like as singers get older and you know they lose their voice, lose their register, where guitar players have to actually you know tune down to do certain songs so it works right and shit like that. He didn't have to do any of that with Dio. He could go all over the place. And I think that's why, uh, I, I mean, you can't take away from the riffs that Tony did with the original Black Sabbath, but I think his guitar playing actually got better with the Dio era because there was nothing holding up. Like, he didn't have to do this to stay within, you know, Ozzy's reach. He could go all over the place. And to me, this song is a perfect example of that. Not saying that I like it, you know, the Dio era better. To me, they're both perfection. So how can you, you know, it, it's like two, you know, perfect things against each other. Nothing's better than the other one. They're just different. But you could go different places with, with Dio. And this was a prime example. Um, beautiful, beautiful song and the great light and shade, like Ralph said. You got this or you got Neon Nights. They're both perfect yet dark at the same time and to me even though yeah it probably would have been cool if they changed the name to heaven and hell but this this to me kept within the sabbath flavor because you know sabbath did stuff like you know lord of this world and they also did stuff like solitude and you know and planet caravan and changes she's gone you know they had slower different mid-tempo stuff but here it's like i only is just like all the chains are off, he can do whatever, and Dio is right there to not only help him, but to push him along. I actually love Children of the Sea, one of my favorite tracks on the album. What do you think, Ralph? Yeah, um, it is uh, an amazing, amazing melody, uh, vocal melody of this, you know, in the misty morning, on the edge of time. It's a song that, uh, 
you know, I, everybody would be super pissed if you go see Black Sabbath with Dio and him not, them not throw this out. Mainstay, every time Dio walked up on stage with Sabbath and, um, and yeah, they, they would repeat this formula over and over again on the next couple albums with your um, Sign of the Southern Cross, Falling Off the Edge of the World, um, Too Late, a Bible Black. You know, it, it, they all, it all borrows from this, but yet all those songs are, are also their own. Not saying it's they're, they're like repeating themselves, you know, totally. They're just you know taking the, the slight formula, but this one right here is like just pure epicness. And uh, I believe it is the first time that we hear Dio say "Look out!" Yeah, <laughs> which he repeats it many times later in his career. Um, yeah, I love it. The next track is uh, "Lady Evil." Um, one of the many songs of uh, Dio telling you, you know, watch out for chicks. Uh, you know, you get in, don't don't talk to strangers and uh, Lady of the Lake and stuff like that. You know, it's, you know, women are evil. You know, and uh, and uh, what do you call um, a song that I believe was played early in that tour, but by the time they played Miami Highlight, it was off the set list. They did repeat. Okay. They did repeat it. This was played live? This was played... I believe it was played live early in the tour. Okay. But uh, by the time I saw it, no. And they did replay it live again on the deal years. I believe you can see it on the Radio City uh, DVD. I could be oh. wrong. I, I believe it's on there. I love that one, too. But I haven't watched it in a while. Yeah, but... Uh, yeah, I don't... Uh, there, I don't believe there's any live recordings of it from that era, but I believe they played it when Bill Ward was in the band. See, because when I saw Black Sabbath, it was already uh, Vinny a piece. Uh, Bill Ward only did like the European stretch, and then he, he was just too fucked up. So he left the band, they got Vinny a piece, and I believe the first show they did with Vinny was in Hawaii, and he was in the band for about three days. He had to learn all those songs in three days. And, and, and uh, just a little something to add to that. A guy I worked with, he was in the military in 1980, stationed in uh, in Hawaii. And now I always heard they played like, you know, this big festival in Hawaii. But he said there was two like USO shows uh, while he was stationed over there. And they, they uh, and, and by two shows, they did one show for like the white people in the army. And one show for the black people in the army. And he told me who uh, the black group was. I can't remember. But he said, you know, for the white guys, it was um, it was Black Sabbath. And I was like, whoa. I was like, what year was that? He goes, oh, 1980. I was like, holy shit. That, you know, and to me, I'm thinking, that's Vinny Appice's, you know, first show. But maybe yeah. they did like a festival and they played for the USO, which is which is pretty awesome, but in a way, it's kind of Spinal Tap too, because they're doing they're doing something at an army base too, right, you know. Right. But but if you think about where Black Sabbath was at that point in time, it does make sense. But uh, but yeah, uh, it, it's funny because we have a Vietnam veteran who's always singing War Pigs, and we were talking about Black Sabbath. He's like, oh yeah, saw Black Sabbath in Hawaii, you know. And that's what I was like, oh, 1980s, like yeah, I was like wow. You saw, you know, the first Vinny Appice show. There you go. Yeah, uh, and 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 uh, this is pre-internet, so I was very bummed that it wasn't Bill Ward when I saw him. 
because right. uh, I thought I was going to see Black Sabbath with Bill Ward. And I was very, very bummed because uh, even back then, I loved Bill Ward. I love, you know, I, I just, Black, look, I, I know I've discussed this on many episodes or maybe one. Um, the first time I ever heard Black Sabbath was Paranoid because my brother owned it. And me and my brother shared a bedroom at the time, and I was afraid of that album because I felt by listening to it, I was going to hell. And for some reason, I, I don't know why, but you got to remember, this is early 70s. Opening up that gatefold of Black Sabbath, Paranoid, and and you have Tony Geezer and Bill on one side, then you have Ozzy alone on the other side, and Ozzy's looking down, and they're all wearing these big crosses. And just forget about the three guys. It was the vision of Ozzy and me as a little kid looking at Ozzy, and Ozzy's like looking downward at me wearing that big cross that I honestly felt like this guy is Satan and this music satanic and if I keep listening to this shit, I'm gonna go to hell. Now, you gotta remember, in the early 70s, I mean, there, we were, we really were like little kids and, and my parents weren't even, my parents took me to church here and there, but it was just installed in me, period. You know, it was installed to me, it was installed in me not to like gay people. You know, uh, fags were a bad thing. You know, we called them fags, and you know, and 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 yes, there was segregation back then, and I heard a lot of racist things while I was a kid. A lot of that shit was installed in me. I'm not proud of it, but there's certain things in me. So that was one of the other idiotic things. So my brother, to fuck with me, would play Electric Funeral, and I'd run screaming out of the room. Like, oh my God, oh my God, forgive me, God, for hearing those demonic wow, 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 So, I was petrified of Black Sabbath. Petrified. But, then when my brother went to the army, and I had paranoia to drop me, as I am me down, I started listening to it, you know, like the Forbidden Fruit. And it's like, whoa, you know, this is like, you know. War Pigs, to me, didn't sound like I didn't, I didn't equate it as uh, a song about generals and war. I, I, I equate it as Satan, you know? And, because uh, there's a line in the song where, you know, what's, this, what's the line in the song? That, uh, at the very end, Satan laughing spreads his wings. Spreads his wings. You know, oh, Lord, yeah. Yeah, shit like that. And then I went out and bought, we sold our soul for rock and roll. And then when I opened that gatefold and there's that dead woman, holding the cross, it's like, holy fuck these guys roll. That's when I became enamored. And to me, nobody, at that point, when I bought that album, and I heard Warning for the first time, Warning and Black Sabbath, those two songs sealed my fate. Because when I heard Side One of We Sold Our Soul, and I heard those songs, I knew right then, I go, this is my band. This is my favorite band. And you know, I wasn't a rich kid then, so I couldn't afford the other albums. But then, Never Say Die was a brand new album, well promoted. I went out and bought it, fucking loved it, you know? And uh, so there you go, I don't know, I, I went out on a tangent there about Black Sabbath. But, um, but yeah, and uh, Lady Evil is an awesome tune. Uh, Bill, you talked about it? Yeah, such a magical, mystical woman. I fucking love this song. It's so fucking badass. I love the fucking 
funky fucking thumping fucking bass i fucking love this song it's one of my favorite songs off the record if not my favorite dare i say um it's a great deep track and uh, iomi just plays his ass off i think it's kind of cool just it's just a different vibe there i love the song five out of five chopsticks i love it Bam. Uh, all right ian take Bam. the title track no i didn't get to talk about lady Ilya. Oh, you uh now, uh, I, I love this shit. It is different for the album, though. But in a way, it kind of, you know, it, it's different from the rest. But if you listen to the last few Black Sabbath albums, you know, you know, like Technical and, uh, well, well, shit, I mean, you could even go far back to Sabotage to have different songs. Something like, uh, you know, Radio, Am I Insane, you know. Uh, super bizarre. It's very yeah, 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 or, you know, uh, Backstreet Kids. Uh, rock and roll doctor which by know, the way by the way just to bring this up because we are talking about heaven and hell when i went to go see the heaven and hell show the opening track was super Zone. oh it, before yeah. they came on they played that on the loudspeaker before they came on awesome but i i mean it, it's different the same way like even you know johnny blade is different uh but it fits on this and yeah you're right this is like dio warning you of the evil of women you know, Dr. Dre even said this song inspired bitches ain't shit, but hoes and tricks. You can suck on these nuts and lick the dick, you know. Oh, wow. um, yeah, true story. Uh, I love it, but it, it, it is. Now, this is one that I would say sticks out, uh, but but not in a bad way. You know, it's just like it's like that one toe that's longer than the other, but it's not supposed to be. But it's awesome, and I would never skip late people. Man, if they, you know if this one, if they threw out live, I'd be like, holy shit! Um, absolutely love it. But uh, Bill Wing, why don't you talk about the title track? Heaven. Oh my! Oh my goodness, Wadzilla! You know what? I could wax poetic about how you know. Incredible this chord structure is and, and and dissecting this that and everything but I'm not kind of I'm gonna be very simplistic here one of the greatest metal songs ever thought-provoking lyrics just a fucking masterpiece and whenever I hear it even 36 years later I get goosebumps man awesome song five out of five chopsticks bam 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 Ralph um uh... There's this video on YouTube for this song that's amazing. <laughs> I know that video. I know that video. Who made it? Oh, oh, that's right. It was me. <laughs> oh, that's right. It was you. It is unbelievable, that video. Uh, Bow down. Bow down. Yeah, I'm telling you, it's one of the best videos I ever made. Uh, I, where I, I, I Where I sync up Bill Ward really good to that song. From the little yeah. footage I have of Bill Ward from... The three promo videos, which we haven't discussed. Uh, well, no, no, two. Was it two or three? Two. Uh, two, I know. Yeah, they made Neon Nice and Die Young. They made videos yep. for that. And I took yes. little clips of Bill Ward from those two videos, and I synced them up perfectly playing Heaven and Hell, and it looks like he's playing. Mm -hmm. And I also used yep. images of Hell and Heaven and Thunder and Lightning and, and Black Sabbath during the, you know, the 1980 tour uh, from the Black and Blue album, which we haven't discussed. There's a movie that came out at the time, which I saw back then in the Midnight Movies. Uh, 
Live in Nassau Coliseum, Black Sabbath and Blue Oyster Cult released a movie called uh, Black and Blue. Yes. Uh, which you can only get it now in Japan on Laserdisc, I believe. Which I have oh, wow. a, a DVD copy of it. Um, yeah, I went to go see that in the movies. Actually, back then, back in the day, there used to be the midnight movies. Where yeah, I, w- I, I would see um, Led Zeppelin, uh, Song Remains the Same. I saw Richard Pryor live. And one thing I saw, dude, and I'm telling you guys, I saw this. And it's nowhere available, but I saw this. There was a Dark Side of the Moon movie. I'm telling you, I saw this shit. Uh, Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon, a movie. And you can't find it anywhere. And, and I, even on Google, there's nothing written about it. I saw this shit. And if you see, I'll give you an example. Like, um, there's uh, the making of Dark Side of the Moon, uh, those Eagle Rock Entertainment things. Uh, right. Uh, if you watch that documentary, there's clips of that movie in there. Anyway, so let me go back to the song. The song, yes, the world is full of kings and queens who blind your eyes and steal your dreams. It's seven and out. Um, th- that's what it says on the actual tour book on the back. And it is the greatest line that I think Ronnie Jean Deal ever wrote, period. You know, he's written a lot of great lines. Um... His interpretation of that song later on, many years later, he, he described that heaven and hell is actually in us. It's within us. It's inside our soul. We know what's right and wrong. You know, either we, if we do wrong, we do right. That's our problem. There's no God. There's no devil. It's us. We are God and the devil. So our judgment is either heaven or hell. So And, and we live in heaven and hell. And that's his interpretation of the song. I think it is a masterpiece. Um, again, very ep- It's a very epic song, but not technically all over the place. Has a few little changes, but it's just perfect. And definitely my favorite track off the album. Uh, Heaven and Hell. Love it. Uh, Ian? Oh, yeah. I mean, this... I mean, it's one of the greatest uh, metal songs ever written. It's tied for my favorite song, but I, even though I, I say tied, I still have to give you know the, the nudge to this one. It, it it's absolutely perfect and flawless. You know, Ryan James Dio said in interviews before, this is the finest album he was ever part of, and and I agree. I I, I agree. You know. I'll take this any day over Rainbow Rising, and there's there's stuff on there I love, but this is is pure perfection. Absolutely love. I would it. agree. I would agree. This album, Heaven and Hell, is better than any Rainbow album. I do yes. agree with that, hundred percent, because I think it's just pure friction. I do prefer Dio and Rainbow, but as far as like an album, yeah, Dio never did anything better than Heaven and Hell. I agree. Oh yeah. Absolutely amazing. Now, the bass line to this song uh, closely re- resembles the bass line to the song Mainline Riders by Quartz, who, you know, they recorded this song when Jeff Nichols was in the band. And, and, and Tony Allen produced that album, didn't he? Yes, yes, he did. Their first album. Yes, he did. And, uh, you know, and, and when they first recorded this, you know, Geezer wasn't there. Now, like, like we talked earlier, you know, there's speculation that uh, 
you know, he just redid what was done before, and some people say he never even heard. He just played what he thought went with the song. So, so who knows, and really who gives a shit, because what comes across is incredible. I, you know, I love this bass line. I love the guitars, the vocals. I mean, you know, you know, the, the lyrics, everything is great, you know. Uh, Ronnie would later go on to say that, you know, uh, this song was about, you know, he predicted uh, what was going to happen with Van Halen, you know, and that's what he called heaven and hell. He, he, he called Van Hagar heaven because it was all fruity and lighty. <laughs> and, and, and hell was real Van Halen because that's where all the dirty girls were at. But, uh, but no, seriously, I mean, this is one of the greatest songs ever written. And this song truly does, whether you want to call this, you know, Black Sabbath or not, I put this song up against any other Black Sabbath song. Not saying it's better or worse, but I, I like, it deserves to be on the fucking shelf with that. I agree. Because it is, it, it everything... That is what we truly call metal. I'm not talking cock rock. I'm not talking about hair metal. I'm not talking about pot. I'm talking about heavy metal. This has everything in this song. And it's perfect. It's flawless. There's not one note you want to change. This is... If you do not like this song, you do not like heavy metal, you do not get heavy metal, you're a bitch. And I don't know about you, boy, but boy, I... I, I this is a song I cannot listen to if I don't also hear the, the acoustic outro. Oh, I mean, I mean, it, it's every. You, I mean, I mean, this song. You know, well, even, even to me, this album. Like, I never put on just like a song from this album. I play the whole fucking album. You, you know, and it's just it's per. And like what you said, you know, it's like you got to hear that little, you know, the little endy adds to it. That is so. Tony Iommi, and I think that's something that was missing from the later Black Sabbath, Heaven and Hell, whatever you want to call it, you know, was the instrument, you know, the acoustic side of Tony Iommi, you know, the experimental side, you know, that was my biggest bitch, and I still love, you know, uh, Dehumanizer, and I, I don't mind a lot of the, the Heaven and Hell record, Devil You Know. But what I miss is that light shade, you, you know, where, you know, Tony could bring you the heaviest of fucking rips, but then he would just lighten up and do something like a, you know, a la Laguna Sunrise, you know, that is just as emotional, just as powerful, but a total different, you know, spectrum. Yeah, uh, Laguna Sunrise fluffed the intro to uh, Spiral Architect. Uh, oh yeah, Scarlet Pimpernel from uh, Eternal Idols. Great, that's well, that's that's actually probably the last time he did something. Yes, and it was the first time in a long time. Yeah, it was the first time since Volume Four he did an acoustic, uh, just an acoustic track. Yeah, and and, and, it, to, and it's beautiful. Yeah, and to me that side is just as important as you know the riff master side of him. Yep. You know, it's just to me that's why you know. He is such a complete uh, guitarist, you know. Whether there might be a million people more technical, but the feel that you get from him, whether it's like something so heavy, it's like crushing your bones, to something just so beautiful, you know, it could make your day. And and this song has all those elements. And 
that is my argument for why this, I don't know if should is the right word, but could be called Black Sabbath. Because it has that element. Dude, um, life is young. Stop arguing. Okay, bye. Uh, <laughs> absolutely love it. Uh, Bill Wang, since you're here, why don't you go into the next track, you son of a bitch? Yeah, flip With it over. Daddy, flip it over. Flip this motherfucker yeah, flip over. Exactly. Put it on her side. You know what? No, uh, just to piggyback on what you just said. Fucking well said, Wadzilla. I agree with everything you just said. Well, thank and, you. And I, I, I was drunk and rambling, and I don't remember. No, no, but you know, I was, I was li seriously listening and reflecting, going, man, good points. And I understand the ratings for these shows are are the highest when when there's fighting and there's ripping and everything. Obviously, this is a massive love fest because we all adore this album. Yeah, the so, thing is, Bill, people, Bill, the thing is, I don't what? agree with Ian at all, but I, life is too short. I don't feel like arguing. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel you, brother. But you know what I'm saying. Some, but anyways, um, the next song, "Wishing Well." The thing about this song in particular, it's a great song. I fucking love the powerful deal lyrics and, and and the vocal delivery. But the 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 one thing that stands out to me specifically is at the two minute and twenty second mark, that emotional uplifting Iomi solo. It's just like wow. I mean, I could fucking totally just feel it man i fucking i listened to that this week probably a hundred fucking times i'm exaggerating but i must have probably listened to it on a serious note that that specific part about 20 times and i just it just he just bleeds through it and i fucking just love his playing in this song and that and that solo in particular i love the song i think it's a fantastic song um uh i give it five out of five chopsticks and uh all hail deal man Thank God I saw him about ten times. Never saw this tour. This was well be before the my parents let me go to concerts. But uh, I love this song. Um, I give it five out of five. Great song. You should have got a belt lashing. It was worth it for me. I know, I know. But it, it sounds like it was easier for you to get to the show than me. I lived about an hour from San Francisco. Okay, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Back then, back in. Yeah, it would have yeah. been probably impossible. And his parents were Asian, so they're notoriously bad drivers. <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> you can blindfold them with dental floss. <laughs> Bam! Oh! <laughs> Jack and Jill went up the hill. Both came. Oh, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Our back, get it? <laughs> Get it? The day the laughter died. Holy shit! Wow. Uh -huh. That should be my pick of the week. What a great album! Oh fuck yeah! You, fuck already, yeah. Picked, you already picked it. Oh, I did. Oh there yeah. you go. Oh did he? Oh, fucking brutal. Anyway, so yeah, man. Oh, throw me a penny, and I'll make you a dream. Life is not. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Uh oh my god, yeah. And and that open riff. Dan 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 dan. And yeah, there's uh -huh. a little Bill Ward right there. There's a, a yeah. light, a, a very, it was a little bit of a flashback of 70s Bill Ward during that song. That's where he's a little more adventurous than normal because Bill Ward pretty much keeps it in the pocket, which pretty much wow. every, every drummer did since Bill Ward. Uh, unless you talk about Born Again, because that's 70s Bill Ward right there. Because very unorthodox on that program. But, oh my God, yes. Wishing Well. An amazing... Dude, the thing about this album, too, the fucking flow of it. You know, Ian was saying earlier um, 
about, uh, you know, Lady Evil not really fitting, but it's a great song, this and that. Uh, but I disagree, but I disagree in a way where I don't want to argue, buddy. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but it's a, it's a great flow. It's like, you know, you have your bombastic opening, then the, the, the little, you know, the mellow, and then heaviness, slow grinding, and then you have that almost pop feel to Lady Evil, to the epic uh, Heaven and Hell 2, this bombastic opening to Side 2. Not a great opening song for an album, but an amazing, perfect opening for Side 2. And uh, yeah, what a great song. Another song that was never played live. Now, Correct me if I'm wrong, because this is kind of hazy in my memory. I said this on my review, too. I watched my review today to refresh it what I thought. Wasn't there a time that Black Sabbath, like, I don't know, like six years ago or seven years ago, they played this whole album in its entirety? Because I'm thinking I, they might. I, I, no, I never heard that. Okay. Then, I'm, not, then, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying I never heard that. Well, if that's not the case, then this song was never played live, and, which, which is a shame because this is a fucking great epic song. Uh, but you also have to think about, you know, look, even, even fucking, I'll tell you, even during the Mob Rules tour, I remember I, I, I was kind of like nosebleedish section and there was like this, this dude there. He's like, and I'm, you know, this, this, this is so old school that I was at the show with binoculars, right? <laughs> this is a true story. And this, this fucking dude next to me, he's like, hey man, I'll smoke some weed with you if you let me use the binoculars during Iron Man, you know? Because that's what it was, dude. When you went to go see Black Sabbath with Dio prior to Dehumanizer, the highlight to the show was always Iron Man. Because that was the song. Maybe not so much today, but Iron Man was the song back then. And, um... But Wishing Well, oh my god, yeah, never played live, but I love this fucking song. Great epicness, fucking love it. Love the lyrics and uh, the the structure and this, the great solo, as Bill Wang mentioned. Mm-hmm. Fucking amazing. Oh, yeah, it's awesome. All right, Ian, did you flip the album over yet? Oh, I, I love this fucking track, and this is like... Yeah, the perfect example of an album track, of a deep cut, something that you can't do without, you know, you, you couldn't, you know, this has to be part of the album, you know, it's like screaming for vengeance without Bloodstone, you, you know, you, yeah. you you have to have this, and, you, you know, you know, much like Ralph, you know, I was at shows, you know, where the guy would ask for my binoculars, and I'd be like, Hey, Mr. Gertzman, why are you staring at my cock and not the stage if you want my binoculars? You know? <laughs> it's kind of fucked up. Uh, man, I, I love this, though. And to me, this is another one that is sticks out, not in a bad way. I mean, to me, like, you need this. This is part of the glue. But yet, it, you know, it's so different from Neon Nights, Children of the Sea, Heaven and Hell, Die Young, Lonely is the Word. You know, there's like three songs on this album to me that are kind of different, but yet are part of the glue that makes it an album experience, you know? And, you know, kids today, you can even see it in sales. Like, you know, younger the younger generation isn't so much an album generation like we are. You know, they're about the singles and buying the song on iTunes. 
where we listen to albums from start to finish, you know? That, that's something that didn't really start until Sgt. Pepper, you know? A lot of times albums were just a collection of singles and shit like that. Right. But this is an album that is meant to be heard from beginning to end. And uh, it's a great way to start off the second side. I, I, I think like like a real kicker would have been to start off with Die Young. But to me, you couldn't have Wishing Well and Walk Away back to back. You kind of need the spacing that you have here. So in the end, it works out perfect. But, you know, Wishing Well, like, you know, if you talk to somebody about Heaven and Hell and they don't know Wishing Well, you know, that's like, uh, you know, talking to them about women and children first, and they're like, uh, oh, is that the one with uh, everybody wants some but don't know another fucking song? It's like this, if you know this album, you know this, and you love it, and it's ingrained in you, and you can talk about it and why it's so special to you. This is a perfect album track never a single wasn't meant to be a single it's just part of this beautiful fucking album that is heaven and hell absolutely love it. but <laughs> he was a good man um <laughs> yeah yeah bill wing why don't you talk about the next one that is definitely a sabbath class classic oh I mean, man i'd be honored to brother man die I mean, young. oh fuck it it's it's Man, it's such a haunting song that, you know, the beginning is truly beautifully dark and eerie, you know, and then bam, it hits you over the head. I'm, this song is just like another one of those goosebump inducing songs that just makes you fucking just listen to it over and over and over. Get out the lyrics, you know, read the lyrics and just totally try to get yourself, put yourself in the place of the person writing the song or what he was talking about, what he's trying to express. I fucking love Die Young and... Um, it's, I mean, I could say this about all the songs, all eight songs, but I would, one of my favorites, one of my favorites, if I had a gun in my head, probably top three on the album, I think it's awesome, and it's just so complex and beautifully dark, I give it five out of five chopsticks, love it, man. Ralph? Yeah, you know, I mean, I said Evan and Hell is my favorite track, but Die Young is so close being my favorite track it's like the space between die young and heaven and hell is the same space of ian uh being sober in a day that's <laughs> that's small of a space bad chance yeah it's that you know it's it's that it's that one it's that that five seconds in the morning where he wakes up and he reaches for the beer that's how close they are to him before he takes that sip of that first beer, that warm piss beer that's been there. That one where I look at it, I was like, ah, oh, this ain't gonna end well. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, die young, man. And, and hey, you know, I mean, it did mean a lot to me back in the day, but every time I tried to hang myself, the rope would break. There was no bullets oh. in the gun. I really did want to die young, because the song is that good. But I love yeah. the message. Live for today, tomorrow never comes. That's a good right. philosophy because it's like, yeah, dude, it's like, fuck you, Sammy Hagar, okay, yes. with your with your right now bullshit. This is right now. Die young, you know, and uh, oh my god, and I love the video for this. You and had that, me at fuck Sammy Hagar. Yeah, that part. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and fuck Sammy Hagar for not taking this song to heart. 
And yes. uh, so I just love, you know, and I also love like the, the video where the little light shines on Dio and he's like, die young, die young, can't you see? Oh my God, dude. And that just that voice, yeah. you know? It's just, ah, oh, it's so perfect. It's so beautiful. It's gorgeous. Uh-huh. It's 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 more than music. It's fucking art, you know. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely, man. It's it's a it's like a painting, you know. Uh, and great and, analogy, great and, analogy. And fucking and and you see like you know the stage show and Dio and and just everything and, and the keyboards on it are fucking come on. What right. Jeff Nichols does on the keyboards on that song, especially when you know. Hey, you see the end of the da 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 Fuck yeah, dude. Oh my god, yeah, it's the one complaint I have about this song though, and it pisses me off, was when they when they played it on the humanizer tour and they didn't play it in its entirety. They only played like the first verse and then they went to the guitar solo. I was like, you don't do shit like that to die young. No, really? They did. Oh, wow! I didn't yeah, know that. yeah, yeah. That I missed that yeah. tour, unfortunately. Well, that, that, that's like what Pantera used to do on later tours when they combined Domination and Hollow. Yeah. No, 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 oh, no, right. no, 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 no. Do it. Do them both in their entirety, or don't fucking do right. it. Right, right. And, and also terrible was the Mob Rules tour. They didn't play Die Young at all. Ah. Yep. Wow. I mean, the tour I saw. The tour I saw of Mob Rules. Go look at the live evil album that's the set list i saw no different and yeah it's kind of heartbreaking die young you know was omitted. uh still but, you saw that you lucky motherfucker oh yeah God. the outlaws yeah. open yeah my uh some of my friends wow. from florida saw that same one uh the same show in miami as a matter of fact with the outlaws open. thanks a lot mom fucking god <laughs> and one thing and I, and I i think i brought this up before in a prior episode of black sabbath uh, which, by the way, this is the final uh, Black Sabbath album with Dio that we're reviewing. Because uh, Devil You Know does not technically count as a Black Sabbath album. Well, we've never done Live Evil, so you never know. Well, that's true. But, but anyway. There's that. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, uh, oh, the NIB version that I saw at the Hollywood Sports Forum blows away the Live Evil version. Because when I heard that album... You know, Dio even said that night, oh, we're recording a live album, so if you guys are loud enough, but I guess he said that the whole tour. And I was like, oh my God, I love the way that Dio sang NIB. Then when I heard the live album, I was so disappointed because he didn't sing it. Because, you know, the, the, the way Dio did it, and, you know, excuse me, I know I don't sound like Dio, I'm a little better, but I'll try to do my best uh, Dio and Where he goes, your love to me has got to be real. Go into feel. Go into feel. Then he went, go into feel. Like he did this high. And it was so fucking cool. It gave me chills. And then the live album, Live Evil version, he doesn't do that. I was like, what the fuck? But anyway, Die Young rules. Nice. Well, I would like to say Mrs. Wang was Wong for not letting fucking, you know, young Bill Wang go see this show because this would have been an amazing tour very yeah. bad and I uh, you know and further Mrs. Wang uh, no ticket and no laundry uh, <laughs> what I love about this is you know we talked earlier about you know how you get 
the Neon Knights or the Children of the Sea. Well, this is both of them in one fucking song. And it is so fucking amazing. And, you know, unlike Mon Ronnie Montrose, I got this the first time I heard it. It took Ronnie Montrose years to get it and blow his fucking head off for unleashing Sammy Hagar on the fucking planet. Oh, oh, oh. oh you did not. Oh, no, he did. That's why he did it. Read the, read, read the note. Read the note. It, it's all there. Okay. TMT. Okay. Um, okay, thank you. <laughs> okay, bye. Um, okay, bye. <laughs> I, I absolutely love this song. Uh, beautiful. Beautiful and heavy at the same time. Yeah. The, the light and shade that represents the whole Dio era all wrapped into one song. Uh, yeah. To me, almost even more so than Heaven and Hell, uh, you know, is the contrast on this. You know, and I talk about, you know, songs that are tied for my favorite. Well, this one, you know, is just like, you know, a hair below that because I absolutely love it. And I know, I don't know if Ralph's heard this because I know Ralph hates this guy. But Rob Flynn from Machine Head did an acoustic version of this as a, tri uh, uh, like yeah, a split yeah. tribute. Yeah, I saw, I saw a video on that. Actually. Yeah, Terrible. you know, it's like, a, you didn't like it, huh? Terrible. Wow. Uh, I haven't seen it. I, I gotta see it. I, oh, it, I love Machine Head. It, it, it's, it's on YouTube, and he did it as a split tribute to, you know, you know, to Ronnie James Dio and to Debbie Bono, who was Violence's manager when they first started out. Uh, they both died around the same time, so he did an acoustic version. I thought it was very good. I mean, of course, it's nothing like this, but I mean, it's him in his backyard with a guitar. But, I, I mean, as far as the Sabbath version... Uh, yeah, incredible, man. And when I saw him play this, you know, my first time seeing Sabbath was the Dehumanizer tour. And, and to see this was just, like, mind-blowing. And, you know, the epitome of heavy metal. And again, this is the type of song uh, where I'm split on should this be called Black Sabbath or not. Because, yes, it is different, but it, it has the contrast that is the Black Sabbath hallmark. Uh, you know, that I love about Sabbath, as heavy as it is, you know, at its best and purest was all over the place. And and that's this song, you know. I mean, it, it's it's got the lightest, most beautiful of moments and the darkest, heaviest of moments. Uh, absolute beautiful track. And I got, then it, I, got, I, got, I got something to say, too. I, okay. I, I, that came into my mind. Back in the day, and I have a question for Ian after you, Ralph. Okay, okay. Uh, back in the day, um, I used to have HBO before just about everybody, even though HBO has been around since the 70s. But I had HBO in 1980 81, around there. And the way HBO ran back then was they would show a movie, and then when the movie was over, you'd have to wait like 20 minutes for the next movie. So what they would do to fill up time was they wouldn't play commercial. They didn't have commercials back then. They'd show videos. They showed, I don't know if you ever guys ever saw Hardware Wars. You know, oh yeah, oh yeah. They'd show Hardware Wars and they'd show music videos. And I remember The Trees by Rush was one of them. And Die Young was another one that they would play regularly. And, and this is pre-MTV. So, and, and MTV never did show those Black Sabbath videos. Uh, Heaven and uh, Die Young and Neon Knights were never shown on uh, MTV, but they were shown on Nightflight. Because Nightflight fucking rules. But, oh, uh, absolutely. 
But yeah, that, 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 I just wanted to bring up that fact that I totally forgot that, yeah, they used to show music videos. There were other videos I can't remember offhand, but I do remember that they did play Neon Nights, but they did play Die Young, they played The Trees by Rush, and I can't remember what else. I know another one, I don't know if you, you're a fan, Ian, of Iggy Pop. He had yes. a video called Bored. Yes. I'm bored. I'm the chairman of chairman the board. Chairman of the board, yeah. I'm living a log, living like a dog, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, they used to show that video, um, Once in a Lifetime Talking Head. Yeah, there was a handful of uh, videos that were shown back then. Uh, Call Me, Blondie. But anyway, go ahead, uh, Bill, ask your question. Yeah, um, to piggyback off Wadzilla's talking about the Dehumanizer tour that unfortunately I missed, I'm just curious. Um, I may have not have went there, but I know all the shows that I missed. Uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area, it played at the Henry J. Kaiser Convention Center in Oakland, which is sort of a mid-level um, arena. Probably, I think it, I just saw Ace open for Y&T there. Uh, and uh, I, it probably holds about seven, 6,000. Where did you see that tour, Ian? And uh, how big was the hall? Uh, I saw it at the Aragon Ballroom, affectionately known as the Brawl Room in Chicago. Okay, I know that. And, and, and that's like one of the legendary clubs in Chicago. I mean, I mean, if you're talking about a club, uh, you know, uh, yes, it's twice as big as like, a, you know, what do you call a house of blues? They weren't playing like an arena, uh, okay. but, but it, it's still a respectable venue. I mean, that's where... Uh, Ace Fraley recorded, you know, the Live Plus Four or whatever, Live Plus One. Uh, oh, I, right, I, right, I, right. Uh, UFO Strangers in the Night was recorded there. Yeah, right. I, it was. That was. <laughs> yeah, it was. So it wasn't uh, Chicago Stadium uh, where the Bulls played. No, so no, you're talking no, to... no, but okay. it, it, it's a huge club. My grandmother actually used to go there in the 40s when it was a legitimate ballroom. But uh, I'm going to fall straight into the night was recording in the studio. The intro was recording at that place. Oh, <laughs> I took okay. out it. <laughs> but, uh, oh, and I, I just want to say, I saw it at Sunrise Musical Theater where I told you guys before. That's where I saw Randy Road. That's where I saw the Born Again tour. And I saw Dehumanizer there. And that was the same size as what Bill was talking about. About a six, 7,000 uh, seat uh, place. All right. Well, Who opened I up Born Again? I know I'm going off script, but I'm Night Ranger. Uh, no shit. And I know, I know Quiet Riot opened Quiet Riot was opening right, before, right, night, right. Uh, before Night Ranger, but Quiet Riot blew up at that point. I did see Quiet Riot on that tour with uh, Iron Maiden, Peace of Mind. But uh, yeah, Night Ranger opened, and, and uh, Midnight Madness was a brand new album, and yes, they did not play Sister Person that night. Oh, what, wow. What, when I saw uh, Black Sabbath on the Dehumanizer tour, uh, it was Danzig on yeah. the Danzig 3 tour, and yep. it, it was amazing. And it was but, the uh, only time I saw Danzig do Heart of the Devil. But uh, to combat what uh, Ralph said about uh, Strangers in the Night being recorded in the studio, why didn't they get a better singer then? I don't know. Oh, you suck. I, why do you hate I'm, Phil I'm not, I'm not going to argue with you. Uh, and to oh, me, that's right. The new Ralph. This is the new Ralph. He doesn't. He, he's all about love. To me, Phil Mogg's on, on par with uh, with Sammy Hagar. But I love. Oh my him. God, you're crazy. Uh, uh, hey, Bill. He thinks Van Halen's cock rock. Forgive him. But uh, I, I love Michael Shanker. Uh, yeah, good point. <laughs> but uh, I, I can't even remember if I talked about Walk Away yet or not. 
I don't think I did. But no, no, none of us have. Okay. Number seven. Okay. Song number seven. No. Nope. Walk away. This is the one universally, you know, hailed as like, you know, the sore thumb or the one that sticks out. Um, yeah. But to me, it fits it perfect. I mean, to me, it's no different than Lady Evil or Wishing Well. It's different from all the others, but not in a bad way. And I wouldn't change one fucking note of it. Now, to me. You know, musically and lyrically, it's more akin to, uh, I wouldn't even say Rainbow, but I'd be like almost like Elf or, or Dio Solo. But it, it's still, it just fits perfect. You know, it's like that one, you know, puzzle piece. Like you might like flip it like five times before you get it to fit, but then you realize it fits. Uh, I absolutely love this song, and to me, it's. Uh, you know, no, no worse than the other three that I mentioned, uh, because to me nothing is bad on this. I walk away, I love it, and man, if they would have played this live, like I would rather, you know, if I go see Sabbath, you know, with Dio, I'd rather see him play Walk Away than fucking War Pits. You know, because to me it's all about that Dio era. You know, uh, love Walk Away, great track. What do you think, Bill Wang? Um. Oh man, me and Rob were, without saying it, I got all three of us were kind of making reference to this song later on. Um, it's definitely the most upbeat song on the album. Uh, it's very catchy, almost, strangely enough, it almost has a pop vibe to it. Um, I think it's a it's a great song, like you said, Wadzilla. Um, I don't hate it, but it is definitely... Um, it stands out. It's totally different. And like I said, it's very upbeat. Um, I like it, and I'm going to give it four out of five chopsticks. All righty. Um, I love the song, but I do not feel like it fits the album I, I, at all. Uh, I think it's, uh, it, is, <laughs> it is a sore thumb. Uh, but it's a great song. <laughs> I'm not saying it's a bad song. I think the song would have been beautiful for a B-side. And they should have like worked on something else, to, because I, I'm I'm sorry I, I feel like wishing well and Lady Evil all that shit fits to me. This one just doesn't fit. You know, Lord, she's handsome. It's I don't know. It's just and and the music itself it's very yeah like Bill said it's almost pop. And it's yeah. amazing and yeah. it's a great song though. It's one of those songs. Oh that, yeah. You know I, I I have nothing bad to say about the song, but as far as the flow of the album. I kind of, I kind of feel like it ruins the flow. It's the only, to me, the only blemish on, on heaven and hell is having this song on it. I think the song, I don't know, maybe a little better on Mob Rules, you know, because you have Country Girl well, and shit like that. But I just don't feel like it flows well. What, but what I will, I've what always, I will give I've you, Ralph, is, uh, is like how you feel about this is how I feel about Turn On the Night from Mob Rules. Right, which I love that song, and, and to me that was always like a like like a piss poor version of Neon Nights. Well, that I I agree, it is them redoing Neon Nights, but I've always loved Turn On the Night. I think right, that smokes. To to me, it sticks out and and definitely should not lead off the album. I mean, I don't hate it, but it, it's kind of like what you said about this. You don't hate Walk Away. No, I love the song. I think yeah. the song's great. It just don't feel like it flows well. I hear you. I hear the rest you. of the album. That's the only complaint I have about it, but I love it. I think it's a great song. All right, well, why don't you take the last track, Ralph? 
Uh, oh my God, yeah, lonely is the word. You know, Dio, if you if you Dio has a lot of songs like this because Dio Dio has said in many interviews. I mean, you know what changed Dio's life because Dio was around before the Beatles. Dio was doing doo-wop shit and all that shit. But when Dio heard Eleanor Rigby, it totally changed his life. He said, wow, you can write a song about this. You know, and uh, Eleanor Rigby is about, you know, death. And, you know, how life and, you know, just loneliness. And, and Dio really did stick with that on a lot of his songs. Where he sings about the lonely people. And um, night people, for instance, and oh, I can go down the line. Don't talk to strangers. Uh, there's millions of songs that Dio wrote about loneliness, and this is one of them. And uh, the combination of that opening riff with Dio's vocals and the bass and the drums thumping at the same time is just pure fucking magic. Dude. It's magical. Another song they did not play live until uh, the deal years. When uh, that Radio City, I know that's on that DVD, but they did not play this live back then. Um, I've been higher than stardust. Those lyrics, and, and then another thing it's so special about Dio was, um, what the fuck's he singing about? It doesn't matter, because you can paint pictures with those words. Like, you know, Ride the tiger, you can tell he's striped, but he's always clean. What? But it makes sense, though it doesn't make sense. Right. You know? Right. It's a long way to nowhere. And I'm leaving very soon on the dark side of the moon. I mean, black side of the moon. It paints these fucking visual pictures. This guy was such a genius at it that he's inspired yeah. me because there's been songs I wrote with that in mind. There's songs, if you listen to my lyrics to Kamikaze, that's totally about Ronnie James Dio. Uh, his, uh, you know, um, his interpretation of, you know, uh, you know, inherit the cost of the cost of the endless void, the precious gift you will protect and then destroy. That's my lyrics, but is that total Dio? You know, it's hey. like, None of your lyrics make sense to me. I thought it was all D.O.S. That's him being jealous. <laughs> I know. You and your Beaver Brown band <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> Brown. Someday. Someday. Yeah. Someday you'll graduate nope. to another band, a better band to do a tribute on. <laughs> Don't get him started, Ralph. One could wish. Anyway, so, nope. yeah, uh, very influential on me. Lyrics like this. Uh... Uh, you know, and I and uh, I think I think of Ronnie James Dio and Bon Scott. You know, those are the two. You know, Ooh. but then you know, there's there's, wow. there's also really Steven Tyler, David Lee Roth, and uh, even Rob Halford. What I love about Rob Halford is he invents words. You know, and those words sound cool as fuck. You know, but even if they're about veiny cocks. Yeah, exactly, big veiny cocks. Like, you know, fine with me, man. But. Uh, Exactly. Yeah, so um, lonely is the word. Uh, oh, and I got to say, everything is so perfect about the, album, the song, but then it goes into this little mellow section where it's like, any of you jackasses think that Tony Iommi is only a riff master? Listen to that solo. 
The solo on Lonely is the Word is so emotional, so beautifully orchestrated, so the every fucking note. And it's mellow, bluesy, emotion. With a guy that's losing fucking fingertips. What a godly, godly guitar player and emotion. This whole song with that keyboard going on at the end. And the in the slow fade out. It's just like, okay, this I'm I'm gonna fade out what you just heard was fucking perfection. Lonely is the word is uh what a fucking song. One of my favorites. Again, probably my third favorite up there with uh Heaven and Hell and the uh Die Young and Lonely the Word, my top three favorite songs on the album. And as you already heard, I love every song on this album. Uh, Bill Wang, what do you think of Lonely the Word? Oh man, I could just pick it back and say whatever you just said is just perfect. But sort of a different uh, take on that chill Iomi guitar vibe is mesmerizing, man. I fucking love it. Absolutely epic song. Love the Geezer Butler Bill Ward interaction during the song. But yeah, I just keep going back to that fucking exactly what you were just saying, Dr. Fuck. That chill Iomi guitar vibe is just goosebub inducing and just fucking, fucking brilliant, man. And, um, oh my God, my synopsis of the record, I'm going to say a little bit more about an overview of the general uh, album, particularly. But yeah, a fantastic song, great song, thought provoking lyrics as usual per Dio. Um, I love it, and I give it five out of five chopsticks. Bam! Bam, bam, bam! bam. Uh, <laughs> absolutely love it. This is the one that's tied. Uh, for my favorite song and I mean oh. tr- truth be told uh, just because of hearing it so much I would even give this like a cunt hair over Heaven and Hell wow. uh, nice nice I absolutely love this and you know I, I'm gonna drop the gauntlet right here the greatest riff ever written in the world of riffs is Super Not but the greatest solo and the greatest plane is contained in this song. Loneliness of Word. I think this is the mm-hmm. finest, like, just straight-out guitar plane by Tony Iommi ever. Ever! Yeah. I, yeah. Fuck, yeah. I, I, I fucking love this. And what Dio did with the lyrics, you know, uh, and, you know, like Rouse said, you know, Dio was, was pre-Beatles. I mean, if you look back, I mean, you know, Dio was in the Bible. He's in the picture for The Last Supper. But they didn't have high chairs back then, so he's like low and you can't see him. <laughs> he, was, he was a little guy, but he's there, you know, right. doing the malak. Um, uh, uh, perfect. I, I mean, this is, it doesn't get any better than this. Uh, Ralph and I did a show, uh, you know, with a friend of mine, uh, Om Ingram, where uh, we turned him on to, uh, what album was we had him listen to, Ralph? Oh, yeah. Oh, um, British Steel. British Steel. You know, uh, you know, and we tried to pick an album because he's not like a metal fan. You know, so we tried to turn him. That out was a great episode. episode. Yeah, yeah. I, that was he did. He did fantastic. Oh, we're gonna ha- we're gonna have him back. Uh, we tried oh, to good. a while ago, but scheduling conflicts came up. But you know, the whole thing was like trying to turn somebody who who doesn't know this genre of music onto. Uh, you, you know what attracts us to this you know why right. we have the passion and the love that we have for this music onto 
a non-believer, if you will. Uh, hey. This song has everything. Uh, it's heavy and beautiful at the same time. Lyrically, it's it's so um, it's poetic and sad without being, you know, self-pity or self-deprecation. It's just something that. You know, with the human condition, you can relate to. I mean, just beautiful. I, I mean, you can take people who say, oh, heavy metal is noise. You know, heavy metal is this. No, this is a beautiful song that is heavy, beautiful at the same time. The light and the shade. I mean, this is why Tony Iommi is such a master. And with Dio by his side, this is something... He never could have did with Ozzy, never, in a in a million years, and that's nope. that's nothing against Ozzy. I love Ozzy. Oh. My favorite version will always be the original Black Sabbath, but this is this is taking it to another level, and 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 this is the freedom to, to do that. I mean, this song, and in the same way Heaven and Hell is the same way Children of the Sea, but to me this song. Every time I hear it, I, I, I feel something. I mean, I mean, you could have a million things going on. I could be doing dishes. I could be doing something. But I am always going to stop at the end. And when I hear that guitar, no matter what's going on around me, I'm going to stop and focus in on the emotion that's coming through that guitar. And, and man, for this to happen in 1980 as, as a rebirth for Black Sabbath, as, as a, re, a, a rebirth for metal... Where, you know, where metal is crawling out of, like, you know, we hey, we made it through fucking disco, and we made it through the knack, and we're coming back stronger and better than ever. I mean, this is right there with Iron Maiden and fucking, you know, Motorhead and Diamond Head and Angel Witch and all this great shit that's, you know, Saxon and all this great stuff that's coming out of Britain at that time. Uh, but this is just something like that, but with a different level of class and sophistication uh, is just, you know, puts it on the top of that fucking mountain. And I, I could go on forever and ever about this song and never fully articulate what it means to me because this is perfection. And you call it heaven and hell, you call it Black Sabbath, I call it absolute fucking perfection. Uh, it speaks to me. It speaks to me in a positive way, in, you know, not in a in a pity way, just in a beautiful, beautiful. Oh, like everybody, I think could relate to this if they open their mind and listen to it. I don't think there's anything here that is too heavy or would offend anybody. But if you could just like get a a room full of people that listen to all kinds of different music and play this song, I think if they gave it a chance, they would appreciate the beauty and perfection of this and what a way to end this album and to start you know even though short-lived the ronnie james dio era of black Sabbath. yeah amen brother tone on the heartstrings well said dog well said and i give it five chopsticks and a crab ragu bam 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 bam, bam, bam. <laughs> now well said bro uh that being said this album was released April 25th, 1980. Uh, mostly recorded at Criteria Recording Studios in Miami. 
with uh, the the first track, I should say, last track recorded, but Neon Nights done at Studio Fervor in Paris, France. Uh, produced by Martin Birch. It was Dio's idea to get Martin Produce to produce it. I think that was a genius idea. The first time they used an outside producer since Masters of Reality. And to me, to that point, the the best sounding Black Sabbath album ever. I mean, Martin Birch is just a absolute genius. I mean, he, I mean, between you know, Deep Purple, I mean, Fleetwood Mac, Loyster Cult, Iron Maiden. I mean, this, this guy just what he could bring out in bands was incredible. Um, and, and and what's what's so weird is this is not only was it a resurgence for Black Sabbath both in the U.S. and the U.K. But this is the number three best-selling Black Sabbath album of all time. Only beaten by uh, Paranoid and Masters of Reality. Wow. Yes. Yeah, so... Uh, I did not know that. Yeah, it was it was a huge... Even though there was a lot of people, you know, that were like, Oh, fuck no, Ozzy's not here. There was a lot of people like uh, Senior Wayne and Eddie Trump. This was their first introduction you know, you know, of people who just grabbed it with open ears and an open mind and fell in love, you know, so, um, I mean, an important part of, I mean, you're not going to see, like, any documentary or any book or anything where they talk about the history of metal, where this isn't brought up, because this, this isn't a, I mean, we're going to do an episode here in the future, we're going to do the first Black Sabbath album, and, you, you know, of course, that is the most important album of all time for this genre that we love. But, Absolutely. But you know, you cannot you cannot mention important albums in the history of this music that moves us that we love without mentioning this. You know, the first Van Halen album, Kiss Alive. You know, uh, uh, Judas Priest unleashing the in, uh, in the East. You, you know what I mean? I mean, this is just like one of those albums that defines the genre, the music, that is why we are all here every week, why we tune into this, why we connect on Facebook, why, you know, the, the metal community is what it is. This is one of those life-changing albums. Yep, yep. Anybody else have anything else in closing on this that they'd like to say? Yeah, yeah man, I want to. Amazing, brilliant album. My personal favorite Black Sabbath album. And I think in the conversation of the greatest heavy metal album of all time, I think it's fucking amazing. I give it five out of five chops. There's two egg rolls and a bam. Love this album. And I'm so honored to do this podcast with you guys and this amazing album that was a game changer and a life changer for, for this kid in that, the summer of 1980. Thank you, Ralph. Thank you, Ian. Bam. All right, Ian, and thank you for being here, Bill. It's always an honor to have you. Um, one thing I didn't uh, touch upon is uh, the back cover of that album, the drawing of the band. If you look at Dio's Knuckles, there's a devil on it. There is? Yeah. And you know what? That was a contest I had. I gave away on Dr. Fuck Show because that is something that you cannot find on Google. That's one of those things. Do you, you have the album there handy? Um, no, it's in another room. Okay, uh, look at his knuckle. The knuckle has uh, Ronnie James Dio's knuckle. You see the devil. On his no shit. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah, it's a little wow. image. You know, it's a little head with two horns. So you, you, I, mean, I mean, I mean, by the devil, do you mean Satan or Sam Hagar? 
Uh, <laughs> or Tony Thayer. <laughs> it's, it's Satan because it turns up on a Heaven and Hell album. There's no there's no sign of Sam Hagar on this fucking album. I think it's it's Tony Thayer dressed up like Sam Hagar. Tony Thayer? <laughs> oh, that's evil. <laughs> All uh, right. And it's Tony Thayer, T-O-N-I, right? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Tony, Tony, Tony. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Well, uh, man, what, what an amazing episode. And uh, once again, I just want to thank you, Bill Wayne, for being part of this. Because this is, this is one of those episodes... Uh, that I knew was going to happen eventually, but it's one of those you have to make special because there's no doing this again. This this is one of the quintessential albums that that I I think our show should be, you know, judged by. We have uh. this justice, and I want to thank you, Bill, because you helped us do what I feel is an incredible episode of this. So thank oh, you. Oh, right on, brother. I appreciate being part of it, man. And since you're here, do you have a pick of the week? Yeah, I, I absolutely I do. Um, the pick of the week, you know, generally speaking, I try to go all the times I've been on the show, I kind of like to go out of the box, okay? Yeah, there's been a few uh, picks that have been pretty much in the box. But in this particular episode, I'm going to pick an album that came out in 2001, and the band is called Big Dumb Face, and the album is wow. called Duke, Duke Lion Fights the Terror. I and, know. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's fucking, oh my God. And if, if I told you who the guy is, then you go, oh, but listen to the album. I'm not going to tell you who the guy is, but I listen know. to the album. You're talking death metal. We're talking crazy funk, everything. So big dumb face, Duke Lion fights the terror. And, and I do know who that is. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do a little spoiler alert, but I still want okay. people to check this out because it is a killer fucking album. But this is done by Wes Borland, the guitar player from Limp Bizkit. Uh, it's, it's a side project he did. But, I mean, it's pretty well known. I mean, for people who listen, Wes has always had a problem with Limp Bizkit. Here's somebody that, that had talent, could play guitar, but ended up, you know, joining a band that's going to pay the rent. You know? <laughs> but he had talent. It's not really where his heart lies. That's why he's been in and out so many times. And he did this album hoping people would, uh, you know, gravitate towards it. The problem is the only people who did were Limp Biscuit fans who were turned off because it wasn't Limp Biscuit, And other metal fans wouldn't give it a chance because right. it was from Limp Biscuit. Except uh, this metal fan that met him outside of Slim's back in 2001. I saw that tour. You saw the ticket stuff, Godzilla. And he was the most coolest. We had the most killer conversation about Sabbath, Priest, Kiss, everything. This guy is the uh, authentic metalhead, man. Let me just tell you straight up. Make no mistake about it, you know. Yeah, Limp Bizkit is fucking, you know, clownage for the most part. Even though there's a couple songs I don't mind. But yeah, this. Please give this album a chance. You yeah. in particular, Ralph. I guarantee you, there's a couple songs you're gonna go, wow, cool. I mean, hell, I mean, after all, Eddie Van Halen was in Van Hagar, you know. Bam, 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 bam. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I think that's a great pick of the week, though. I, I, I thank you. I, I do love that album. And wow, what a bizarre pick. But I expect nothing less than Bill Wayne. Yes, yeah. sir. All right, Ralph, you got to pick of the week? No. 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Typical. <laughs> All right. Well, my pick is from 1981, and it's from uh, one of the Ians I was named after, Sir Ian Gillen. And his band, this is when he went by the Gillen Band, not the Ian Gillen Band, but just he formed a band called Gillen. And the album is called Future Shock. And oh my God, do I love it. It has probably one of my favorite uh, Ian Gillen songs ever, even counting, uh, you know, Deep Purple, called uh, No Laughing in Heaven. Uh, I fucking love this album. Uh, New Orleans is on it, Sacrabru, or however the fuck you say that French shit. Um, a great, great album. Uh, I believe Jim McCoy, who would go on to be in Thunder, was on this. I believe uh, Bernie Treme was the guitar player on this. I think it was his last one with Ian Gillen. Uh, but just great, great British rock. If you love Deep Purple, I mean, it doesn't sound like Deep Purple, but I mean, it's the voice of Deep Purple, and it's great hard rock. It's not heavy metal, it's just good hard rock with Gillen's sense of humor. Uh, you know, and just his delivery, uh, Future Shock, a great album. I hope you guys all check it out. Brad, did you pick some? Yeah, um, I'm going a little out of the box here. Uh, all right. I'm gonna, this came out, I think, about three years ago. It's a re-recording of Elvis Presley songs called uh, If I Can Dream. It's Elvis Presley with the Royal Film Philharmonic Orchestra where they redo a bunch of Elvis songs with an orchestra, and boy, this album just gives me chills. Um, I bought it on vinyl. I don't have the CD, but I had Mr. X send me a copy, even though Mr. X hates hates Elvis. But yeah, I love but he, I love Mr. X because he did that for me. Mr. X does love you. Uh, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Let, is it Elvis singing? Yeah. Like just different. Yeah. Ba- okay, okay, okay. It's Elvis singing. Is Mr. X Ian? Is Mr. Shut, X no. Ian? Shut up! No. No. Oh, my no. bad. No. My bad. No. Delete, delete, delete. Uh, Ian is Mr. G. Oh, okay. No, I know he hates Elvis. He's, he's Mr. PG-13. <laughs> no, actually, <laughs> actually, to route that Mr. Y, as in, why the fuck do I got to do a podcast with this guy? <laughs> oh, come on, man. Oh, come on. How many pick of the weeks was your stupid Mike Patton, Mr. Buggle bullshit? Let me do something you don't like, you prick. Um, I love this album. I listen to it continuously. I got it on vinyl. Um, I believe it was a record store day release. I'm, I could be wrong. But uh, yeah, I did end up buying a buy. Uh, and uh, I love the title track, If I Can Dream. I love uh, the rendition of American Trilogy and uh, oh, Bridge Over Troubled Water, uh, Cannot Fall in the Ghetto, Burning Love. It's a very well uh, done album of old Elvis Presley songs with uh, an orchestra. Hey, and, you, li- and, you like it with the orchestra, huh? You know what? In in some cases, I like it more. With the, like, If I Can Dream, I thought was better uh, than the original version. I love the original version. Because I, I, I'm one of those guys, like, you know, man, when, when people do shit with an orchestra, it always... Yeah, but, 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 but here's the key. When somebody does something with an orchestra, when they're dead, it works. Oh, okay. When they're alive, they're there to tell people, oh no, a little more flute here, a little more flute there, and they fuck everything up. Elvis is dead. Elvis had no say. All right. So therefore, it rules. Well, so our fans know you you are an Elvis Presley fan, so if you give it your seal of approval, uh, it it must be good. A huge fan of Elvis, and uh, 
There would be no Beatles if it weren't for Elvis. A quote from John Lennon. Thank you. Yeah, Amen. A, a, a quote he made in 1992. Um, hey. uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. All right. Well, let's go into fan of the weekend. I'm not sure if I picked this kid yet or not. But I, I like this kid, so if he got it twice, he deserves it. But we banned Brody. Uh, no, it's not Brody. Oh. Uh, uh, this kid has taken to the air and started doing his own reviews. And I didn't watch him at first because there's so much stuff in our news feed. But my girl actually watched. She goes, have you watched this kid? He's great. His name, I, I, believe, I know I'm probably fucking this up, but Al, Alvin Flipson... Oh, yeah, I know that kid. He's oh, from my another kid. country, Sweden or yeah, something, right? Yeah, yeah, he's from, like, Flugy Flogging Flogging Land. Uh, you know, somewhere where it snows. But, oh, my God, is this kid metal. And, you know, he's inspired by us. He does his own reviews. And what I love about this kid is the passion. And I saw somebody put up, uh, you know, a comment on the page, like, you know, what What the fuck's up with, you know, everybody doing reviews now? Well, you know, some are great, some are bad. But, you know, if somehow people are inspired by us, and this kid obviously is. Uh, but I love it. I, I actually sat down and watched one of his videos the other day. He did one for Heaven and Hell. And he was just so excited. And watching him, I went back to when I was his age. And I'm first discovering this music and how important it was to me. And I felt that excitement and passion from him. I might not agree with what he said on every song, but just the excitement. And music is this kid's life. You know, he just put up videos and pictures. He, he got to see Iron Maiden on this last tour. And I think he put up videos from another concert. But this is a young kid. I think he's like probably 12 or 13. And he is feeling it. The same way we did when we were at that age, and I love that. Whether awesome. I, whether I agree or not, this stuff is, you know, we're we're reaching another generation. We're reaching another audience, and this shit tickles their funny bone the same way this shit did for us. And that in itself is incredible. And uh, Adam, Alvin, I'm so I'm sorry, brother. You are our fan of the week. Keep those reviews coming. I think it's absolutely awesome. Very cool, Alvin. A big fan of uh, the Almost Human reviews. Yes, he loves you. Yeah, he's been on. He, he's an avid a poster on the Almost Human channel, uh, the the Facebook page, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very inspired by my reviews. So, as uh, as uh, I want to plug. Um, oh, what's that guy's name? You know the guy that uses those big words? He's really funny. Um, somebody just posted a review of his on, on the Rock and Metal Combat page saying, have you heard of this guy? I go, dude, that guy writes me constantly. And you got to see his reviews. I mean, we should have him on the show. He uses these really, really long words. He's a, I mean, you know, this guy is intelligent. Now, I, I can't uh, Thomas White? No, I can't remember the name of his reviews. And what happened to Thomas Black, by the way? He's, he's, he's always posting on Almost Human. Maybe uh, I always see him on Almost Human. Oh, I don't know. I'm banned from that page, so I have no idea. What, what is he banned? <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, I don't want you on that page. I, I, but he, he doesn't post on the podcast anymore? 
No, I, I never see him on there anymore. Wow. Yeah, no, he's he's normally, what he does, he posts a lot of pictures of Sophie Simmons. <laughs> he really has a hard on for that girl. Oh, who, <laughs> who doesn't? Yeah, I know, yeah, sure. Nice tits. Um, All right, well, let's get in the plugs. What do you say? She got those tits from her dad. <laughs> Hello, this is Lee Gerstman. There's a show that I listen to that is totally awesome. It's almost like having a holy fuck. But it's not a holy fuck, it is a doctor fuck. And it's the doctor fuck show. And you can hear it on that metalstation.com it's on Thursdays at 8pm Eastern Time but it's also repeated on Sunday 1pm Eastern Time of course I always like to listen to it twice because one fuck is never enough on thatmetalstation.com thank you All right, KISS Army, since 2007, you've been getting PodKissed, the KISS audio fanzine for your ears. That's right, it's your PodKissed. Every month, the PodKissed crew, along with the KISS room, brings you KISS talk like no one else, whether it be roundtables, interviews with the band past and present, analysis, and great KISS fun. Hi, this is Ace Frehley, and you're listening to PodKissed. Hi, this is Bruce Kulick, and you're listening to Podkiss. The Podkiss, the Kiss audio fanzine for your ears. Hey everybody, I'm Aaron. And I'm Chris. And we're from the Decibel Geek Podcast, and if you love this... You'll love us. That's right. Brand new episode every single Monday. You can find us on iTunes and at decibelgeek.com. And the best thing is, it's rock and roll and it's always free. Ear Pillar, the podcasting and interview news site. To keep up with your favorite bands or artists and the podcasts or interviews where they appear, go to earpillar.com to find out what we're all about. Music's most diverse podcast, starring Luke Innes, Greg Sims Bootlegs, and Mr. T from Germany. New episodes released every Saturday on Podbean, Podcast Addict, and iTunes. The True Alternative Podcast. You haven't listened to Mars Attacks podcast? What are you waiting for, man? Host Victor M. Ruiz brings you all types of hard rock and metal-based podcasts. You'll find everything from music-based episodes, interviews, to series such as ultra-sexy classic album series, where some of your favorite musicians, producers, journalists, and show hosts comments on the albums that push the evolutionary chains of hard rock and metal. Get with it and go to MarsAttacksRadio.com to find out more. 
listen to the rock show with gully and joe go to all the w's gully g-u-l-l-y-a-n-d-j-o-a dot uk 8 p.m uk time 3 p.m eastern the rock show with gully and joe listen to it don't be a cunt have you developed paralysis from trying to choose a movie on netflix of course you have there's too much garbage on netflix to sift through so join us on our podcast we watched it for you we watch a bad movie every week and try to determine its watchability. We Watch It For You is for bad movie fans, B-movie fans, underground film fans, and cult movie fanatics alike. Don't miss an episode of We Watched It For You, a guide to the lesser-known movies of Netflix, available on iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts. Gerstman, and I listen to a show called Wadzilla Rock. It's on a station called ThatMetalStation.com. I love the show. Ian Wadley does music heavy rock from when I was younger up until now, and he's got an extensive bunch of cool shit that he plays and i love humping my dog in memory to those tunes check it out on saturdays 11 a.m eastern time that is wadzilla rock on thatmetalstation.com thank you all right, well, if you enjoyed this groundbreaking episode, and we know you did, come back next week when we don't actually have an album review, but we are going to talk to Lee Gersman, parole officer, and uh, see if we can coordinate an early release, because this guy has been locked up for too long. Uh, you know, hide your children, but free Lee Gersman. That's next week on the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. Spoiler alert, Lee Gersman's pick of the week, Gary Glitter's greatest hits. Oops. <laughs>